0: Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we
1: learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Carney's Quarries and Casinos, a dive into southeastern Oklahoma. Today we got a guest with us from that region, that beautiful part of the country that is southeast Oklahoma. Tyler Briscoe joins us.
0: Yeah, Tyler, we're we're glad to have you here. And you and I share a little history with the quarries, And that was a real fun time in my life because it was a chance for me to live in the Discovery Channel. It was a chance for me to see where drywall came from and what these gigantic trucks were doing, crawling down into the bowels of the earth and, and getting that granola for the rest of us. So I enjoyed that time frame. And I was going to tell you this, there were times... When I didn't like my job, but if I knew I had a Tyler Day coming, that would light me up for like a week. Like, I'm going to get a run around southeastern Oklahoma with Tyler. Oh, it's all going to be all right. So, not to make your head too big, but I enjoyed that time, and uh, I'm excited to be able to explore it a little bit today.
2: Hey, man, that's awesome. Thank you guys for having me. It's It's a privilege to be up here. I enjoyed those times as well, and still do. I still run in and out of the quarries. Got a lot of friends there. Still do a lot of business with those guys. So I think live in a world where people think everything just comes to them from, from Walmart or the <laughs> DG Mall or whatever, and the reality of it is just sitting in this room, everything we touch, everything we have started as a natural resource. It was either mined or harvested or something. And I know you've got some people on the cloud that are come back and go, oh, no, we can do this, we can do that. No. It all started as a natural resource somewhere.
0: Yeah, so they're down there mining the physical. And that was what was always cool is you, it's not only the mining, it's the, it's the size, it's the scale. It's man doing some of his biggest work in some of these loaders and dump trucks that are in scales that you and I, our truck would fit in them eight or nine or 20 times. And that always that, that fascination with what we can do as mankind, how big it can get and how it benefits the rest of us. And then you have the richness of the people. The personalities in the quarries. Now you worked in and out of them. I, I had the I had the pleasure of kind of being on the edge of that. But I love the personalities. I love the blue collar personalities. That's to me where the the personalities are kind of hiding right now. But the quarries just always had these vibrant personalities that I
2: enjoyed. Yeah, there's a lot of really unique people and a lot of some guys with a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge on that. I mean, there's a lot of science goes into this. Uh, it, it's man and machine against nature, and at face value, we're taking big rocks and we're turning them into little rocks. There's a huge amount of science and engineering that goes into all that. It has to be well-planned years in advance. There's just a lot to it that people, I think they just look at it and go, man, I need some rock. Yeah. Send me a load of rock. <laughs> man, that rock has been touched so much by the time it gets to your driveway, it'll make your head spin. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's strange to me that we have to even mine rock. You know, when you think about quarries or what we pull out of them, like you said, drywall, you think it's going to be something magical. Maybe we got some gold or some sort of iron ore or lithium. What kind of stuff do we have besides just rocks that we pull out of southeast Oklahoma? Is there
2: anything else? No, we're, we're pretty limited there. I mean, we've got some natural resources, but as far as industry, there hasn't been that much. So there's a lot of forestry there. There's a couple of big paper mills. The rock quarries have always been there. Because they've got a pretty good seam and a couple different varieties of rock that go all over. It goes all the way down to Houston. It just travels all over by rail and by truck.
0: And we're so we're talking about in, in that in that region, we're talking about drywall product and what crushed granite that goes in any number of applications.
2: So yeah, there's there's all kinds of applications for the different types of rock. And I'm not a rock scientist, so my background is primarily the heavy equipment that runs. In those quarries yeah so I'm not gonna sit here and speculate about the different types of aggregates and where all they go and what all they do but man they go from they make baseball field stuff out of it they make all your road base out of it they go down they shore up the shorelines down around the be- uh, the beaches and the piers and stuff like that it just, it just goes everywhere it's it's mind-boggling that's
1: an interesting thought so anybody that's sitting around a beach right now staring out at a beautiful sunset on the ocean might have a landlocked Oklahoman, to thank for that beautiful beach experience they have. Yeah. Wiggle your toes and, and thank Oklahoma, I guess. Yeah, so. We're pulling beaches out of yeah. southeast Oklahoma right yeah. here.
2: Yeah, there you go. Another, Make the world a beautiful place.
1: And maybe this is the jumping too far, but you might not realize right now you're sitting in a mine. This is this is a very inconspicuous Bitcoin mine. Oh, that, really? That we found ourselves in this studio. Yeah. And and to me, I've I've gone back and forth because I got excited about Bitcoin early on. Like, I'll be honest. I drank the Kool-Aid. I was like, "Yes, this is the new money. We got to do." You this. signed up for the emails. Yeah. Oh you I got even the, you got the subscriptions. Even managed to buy a little bit at the uh, oh about at the highest point that it could be, and watched it completely fall down now. But nonetheless, obviously, I bought some. I was excited about at one point. But when we start rolling into here, something that you had kind of mentioned, like you imagine the amount of energy, the amount of natural resources as we're talking about here that someone has decided that they're going to use to burn up for energy so that they can create digital currency, non-existent money. That's it. This is, this is starting to bug me a little bit. I now find myself, as I'm driving into my wonderful studio to record, getting a little bit angst about this, this kind of mining that, to me, again, wasting resources. Like This is not something that's happening on a material plane where we can touch or do anything with. This is where we're using natural resources to turn into imaginary currency to do what with? To then buy things on the physical plane? Right
0: now to hope, right? (laughs) And so you traded your time to accommodate or to accumulate money that you then plugged into the hope of a Bitcoin. And I don't know enough about Bitcoin not to sound triple ignorant on this. My understanding, we are buying a unit of energy and converting it into a digital element that can't be cut, replicated, diluted, and that creates the value. But it sounds like a a big pile of hope to me. It sounds like you're rolling into a casino. But I (laughs) mean, you start messing with money, it's casino. I bought Starbucks stock before, and that was nothing but hope. Anything you do in that investing space that doesn't involve the material, the difference between buying Starbucks and GM and buying Bitcoin, your dad approves of one and he doesn't approve of the other because he doesn't understand it. But other than that, you're giving your money to strangers and hoping for the best. So I, I don't call it Bitcoin, call it gold stocks, because I, man, I've, the reason why I'm speaking from this place is I've lost money in this place. And it all starts to rhyme. I can lose money over here just as easily as I can lose money over here. The trick is somebody's got to get the money out of my hand. And then they act like they're a custodian. And, and, and then I'm buying into the narrative of what they're going to do with my money and how they're going to grow it. But oftentimes, it comes back to, well, you didn't time it right. Hang on. You haven't realized the loss until you've sold it, right? <laughs> yeah, and I've I just, just figured in my life, I can go buy a duplex and nobody can mess with it. And nobody's diluting the bricks right. or the indoor plumbing. And so that, to me, I don't need a guy in New York tell me he, how he's going to grow my money because I know his growth is based on my money, not whether it performs, just whether or not he's got it under his control.
2: All of that digital currency investment I, I get anxiety just hearing you guys talk about get, it, dude. You get I mean, digital anxiety? I, yeah, I, I, I can't do that. I mean, I've always been like, I have to touch it, or it has to have some type of material value for me to even consider it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, I, th- I and, think you're suffering from what's called common sense. Well,
2: it, it, it's, it's entirely possible. Yeah. You know, and I I got tickled, you're getting, like your guy in New York that's wanting you to invest your yeah. money.
0: He cares about me, though.
2: Yeah. Well, why didn't. Show me where you've made money with your own money. <laughs> yeah. Why are my, you taking my money? <laughs> if you've got this secret, why are you selling it? Yeah.
1: Right? yeah. My favorite thing my accountant said is I'm not ever taking advice from anybody who's trying to get my money or still has to work for a living. That's a great point. That's <laughs> They're a good not point. the ones to be giving it. Yeah. And, and what I hear you say on the money side of it is money's here to lose. Money's here to spend. It's, it's like a flow of a river. You're not going to put yeah. a dam up. Yeah. The point is what did you experience while you were getting it and losing it? Yeah. What did you get out of and that? And
0: how much time did you have to give to something maybe you didn't want to do in order to get the money to lose the money?
2: Yeah, I mean, I there, there's a
0: lot of circles there.
2: I, I agree. And you guys are really interesting to me because you care a lot about money and nothing about time. Correct. And you're, you're, you're the, the yin and the yang of that. Right? <laughs> yeah. You don't Just care about. anything about the money but a lot about the time. But in my world... They're both intertwined, man. They're both married. Well, you hear time, time is, is money. Money, money yeah. is time. Yeah. That's the reality of the world we live in today. Bitcoin or not, that's the world I come from.
0: Yeah. I'd like to care. Uh, to me, they're two controlling elements. So the reason why I have a great disrespect for time, and I don't really know if disrespect is – it's not the appropriate way. Yeah, to be to careful re- there, man. Yeah, it's Whoa. not. But what I'm saying is I don't keep track of time as much as maybe others do because I don't feel the need to keep track of something that I don't know. It's basically finite, but in my mind, it's infinite because I don't know how many hours I'm going to get. I don't know how many days I'm going to get. So the idea of stressing about time and creating this stress around scarcity of time, it's a little irrelevant to me because I don't know how much time I have. So I'm just choosing not to worry about the time that I don't know that I have yet. And I've just found, like, you hate driving with me, Because you want to drive in a straight line. I'm out to see the world. And even if I've seen it 47 times, you may think, all right, you go two miles right, two miles left. bro." I want to go seven miles to the east. I might go 10 miles south. Then I might come back. I might not even get back there because I just don't care to give time that kind of control over me. My entire life, there's been so many things that have controlled me from money, parents, job. And now time is kind of the only one left. That that's still got handcuffs on me,
2: man. If you beat time, I want to know about. it. I'm trying. You bring it to me. I it not, I, it I, might not
0: look I, like it. My hairline I will, didn't beat time. <laughs> I
2: will invest in that material right there.
0: Hey, <laughs> so so back to where you come from, man. And I want to when we have this conversation, man. I really like southeastern Oklahoma, and there's a lot of uniqueness, culture there that I think that you have the ability to kind of give us some insight on. We're we're a couple of city dudes. We just don't. We we
1: don't know what it's like. Right? Well, I got a foot on both sides. Remember, I, I grew up northwest Oklahoma. Oh, yeah. I grew up Woodward. So I forget I, about you all. Yeah, the time. yeah. No, I I came rural. I I would say that's where I was I was born and raised. You know, okay. from from the age of two to eighteen, I was in uh, a similar rural Oklahoma area. But as we spoke um, from someone uh, who had lived in both sides, northeast or southeast Oklahoma versus northwest Oklahoma, like there's a night and day difference. But, again, I think similarities from a small town. If nothing else, from Oklahoma and you're from a small town, Oklahoma City's the city. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And it is funny, when you start traveling around seeing some other real cities, how how strange it is that we we act like the city. Like, this is the big place in the world. Yeah. And it, I think, comes just from a little bit of the name of it, being Oklahoma City. But to think that something this small, uh, heck, I even mentioned how big Oklahoma City was when I was traveling in China. And the guy looked at me and goes, that's not a city. That's a village. <laughs> <laughs> that's relative, huh? But, man, I'm telling you, when you're from northwest Oklahoma, a couple thousand people, southeast Oklahoma, maybe a couple hundred people in your town, there's a difference. And yeah. the city is, is Oklahoma City. But I live both of them and um, can, can touch a little bit on each one. From a distance,
0: I admire small-town living. I, I think something happens when we all run to the city we we become anonymous. Now I don't think that was the design, but then I look at small towns and I see a lot of people leaving them, and so I wonder, is it simply materialism that drags people to these big lumps of, of anonymity, or what? What do you think it is?
2: Man, I, I think there's a, a couple different takes on that. One. Your small towns, like the one I'm from, and you guys can tell we're right on the line of the Southern dialect. I'm sure you picked up on that early. <laughs> I'm trying not to put too much in, but oh, it just it comes it. Nature. It natural. It's natural, natural. <laughs> but so, like, the area I'm from, which I'm proud, I'm from Choctaw, McCurtain County, this very far southeast corner. Doesn't, hadn't even existed until recently with the explosion in the Broken Bow area. But I think I graduated with like 40 people. Everybody knows everybody in the community, and they know their parents and their grandparents and their dogs and the truck that's broke down in the yard or whatever. You know, they've got that history. So it's a really tight-knit community. I, for one, could not fathom coming up to Oklahoma City where I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know the guy down the road. I don't know who owns that store. I don't – I mean, that would – again – I'm getting nervous just talking about stuff like that.
1: Yeah, as you look around, you see a lot of uncertainty. In an area where you're used to looking around and seeing the same, something you know a lot about, you, know, you could look at a convenience store and, like you're saying, know who's behind it, know a story that happened here last week, know who bought something here, and that whole thing comes to life in front of you. Whereas when you walk around a place where you don't have those backstories, like nothing really comes to life. That, that's where I can see small-town living being more enriching. In some ways because of how detailed you know the background of each even though you might not know fifty different restaurants you can go eat at tonight.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I'm and I'm a little one sided again because I haven't lived in Oklahoma City or any of these big metropolitan areas and I probably never will. I don't have any desire to be a part of that. But I think the value <laughs> carries over in those small communities because of those tie ins. It's yeah. not allowed to do those things because people are watching. So it and people are helping raise your children, and they're yeah. helping raise everybody else's family. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to that.
0: I think the more material we get between us and the connection with the humans, whether it be a, a metal box, you, you have a great point about how the way people drive in congested cities, they would never walk in a pile of humans, right? Mm-hmm. You, you respectfully walk in a pile of humans. You don't cut people off. You don't crowd their toes. Like, you respect them because your face is right there, The and human face in. is right there. You haven't put any material binding, you haven't put any aggregate between you and them, and uh, I, I don't I wonder if if human connection feels like it's too important for us to be running into these anonymous zones called cities. though we've all done it, we're we're here for the money and
1: I mean the opportunity, I think when I look back growing up, what what made me like I had no question as I was growing up, I'm leaving this town. like nothing about my small town living throughout my youth was making me want to stay but there. were you
0: leaving the town or were you leaving a former version of yourself that you weren't proud of
1: i was i was leaving a town that you know when you're 18 19 20 and you've been built up hey you got to figure out what to do with your life go do something go do something and society says the thing to do is yeah. not stay in a small town and just be yeah. happy here. You're told that to be happy, you got to go out and make a success. But one of my favorite shows when I was going was the Michael J. Fox show, The Secret of My Success, and that's about this small town Kansas guy who goes to New York City and you know, makes it big. That was that was a dream I wanted to be an entrepreneur, billionaire. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you, you were, were trying get to break. You were trying to break out. Yeah, y- you
0: found contentment. And chose to to stay,
2: yeah, absolutely, and I, I think you hit on something there a lot of our a lot of our local people, especially when they 're young, they're chasing opportunity because it's limited there right we 've only got a few natural resources there's not that much uh, industry or infrastructure in place, so they 're after the dollar. The almighty dollar drives it, and I'm always fascinated right now we 've got a bigger growth opportunity in our area than it's probably been in a hundred years, and it's this huge migration of people moving from California, moving from Texas, because they want to get back to that small rural place. They either grew up there or they've always dreamed of being there, and it's, it's driving them in. Well, what's happening slowly and slowly is a small rural place is now being more and more populated, and they're bringing in some of their um, ideas and some of their beliefs, and it's starting to slowly change that culture that's been there for the last 100 years. So it's it's a mixed it's a mixing pot right now, and it's a double-edged sword in some ways. You know, the the people that are coming in, they've got resources, and it's growing the small business. Mm-hmm. It's doing a lot of really good things. By the same token, it's taking away some of those historic things that they've done, some of the ideologies that we've all held close and kept down there. It's starting to change and manipulate some of that.
1: It's kind of that normal thing that happens with the native peoples, anytime a a, a larger, almost more presence of a force comes in it it pushes out what was already naturally there and what i'm worried about here and you say that is i think one of the reasons we're moving to it is it's still a beautiful untouched area of the world like you could still be walking around southeast oklahoma and run into a sasquatch in theory and and that's why people want to come there that's because man hasn't messed it up that's what man has been chasing since the beginning of earth And we're starting to run out of refuges for places like that, and we're having to find them in little nooks and crannies in southeast Oklahoma.
2: Well, people want their solitude. I think everybody wants a place where they can go and be at peace and have that small-town area, small-town feel to it to some extent. And then when they get there— well, we don't have Chuck E. Cheese, and there's not a Bucky's. When are we getting these things? We we have to have that.
1: Knock down some of these beautiful trees. Yeah, I, that that
2: mountain has got to go. I can't see. You know,
1: there's not enough parking down here right. on Main Street anymore. <laughs> if
2: these coons get in my trash one more time, we need a we need a law that says coons are allowed in the trash. That's what I'm putting that bill in right now. Yeah.
1: No, well, trash can panda is my favorite term for the for the trash. Well, they kind of look that way. Yeah, masked up trash can panda. That's it,
0: that's. That's good. I, I think it'd be interesting that we all know, what we're all running from some version of ourselves, right? Yeah, and, yeah that's and, what
1: I was going to say. After living on both of them, what these people are doing is they just think the grass is greener on the other side. Yeah. And sometimes once you've gotten that other side and realize it, these people that want to go out and make a success, maybe if I had gone out and become a billionaire, what would I have done with all that money? Yeah, I, I'd go back and try to buy a piece of land somewhere yeah. so I could have it all to myself and be alone. Same thing you could have done just staying in your small town. The question I have is can you – so you've recognized – if you're moving from
0: big city to small town, you've recognized a cultural issue within your big city that now has you going to a small town. Can, can you bridge the gap? Can you leave the cultural issue that's been baked into your DNA for however long you've been there? Can you leave that? And can you come to a place where the culture's different? And can you – grow into that culture? Can you acclimate to that culture? Are you going to bring your white Starbucks cup everywhere you go and expect people to get out of your way?
2: Man, I I don't know. I think that's going to depend on the individual. Again, the the smaller communities, like where I'm from in particular, there's not that entitlement type attitude. Mm -hmm. People, they respect other people's belongings and material items because they've had to work very hard for them. Look for
1: ways they can give to another instead of take.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I don't. There, there's always going to be an outcast group, no matter where you're at, that has these entitlement issues or or just whatever, different ideas about things. But I think the general population, they respect each other, they they want to help each other. It's very tight knit, and again, they don't think that anybody owes them anything for being there or or anything else. They they earn their own, and they live happy in it.
0: Yeah. It's it's I think it's a different it's a valuing of human connection that that we've lost in the city. Now, I think we we still try to grab it, really like we're associated with Little League, we're associated with churches. We we understand and we thirst for fellowship. It just becomes harder for some reason when you get us all together, if you get too many, we somehow feel alone and then we get I don't know if we get intimidated by the large numbers of people around us and that's why
1: we find anonymity to be so comfortable. I don't know. Well, it's, I don't know. it's a little bit of that deal where we talk about when it comes to friends, if you've got 100 friends, then you don't really have any friends. Yeah,
0: how can you maintain 100 friends?
1: <laughs> and so that's, that's a little bit of what I think you run into when you get into the larger populous areas is all sorts of opportunity for personal connection. But it's like water, water everywhere without a drop to drink. Yeah. You don't dive in. You're not really forced to settle in with one. You never yeah. open up an opportunity because there's so many opportunities. Yeah, and you. But you can grow either way. Because I was thinking that at first whenever, why would you leave a small town? But it is for growth. You look around and you don't see too much of that opportunity yeah. through. And At first, we were talking about it through monetary success. But it is a little bit of that same thing with relationship success. One of the things that gets you out of small town is if you're trying to find a wife and a couple, three of them are already picked and you don't have much left, yeah. what are you going to do? You know, it's another something that drives us on. You, you know also
0: had that, that university thing that kind of turnstiles you out of small towns. Like that becomes a place you go to get whatever cup of whatever they're going to pour in your head. And then you bounce out because the opportunity would be to go back to the small town. But um, I. I it's curious to me. We never, we always want what we don't have, and, and I've felt that for small towns forever. I grew up in a city. I live in a city now. I'm puzzled by how hard it is to connect with people. I'm puzzled by how hard it's made my desire to not connect with people. I have neighbors that live two houses down from me that I've stared at their faces for years, and I don't know their names. Why is that? It's because I'm not making the effort. They're not making the effort. It's, a, it's an agreed-upon anonymity. Well, we just kind of give other a head nod and, and move on. But Well, maybe they do that. Do,
1: do you know your neighbors?
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, uh, that's interesting you say that I was thinking on the way up. So I know my neighbors for a, probably a 20, 40-mile radius. Right? <laughs> so I could be talking to my neighbor that literally is an hour away.
0: In another zip and code. And we
2: could be talking about my neighbor that's an hour in the other direction, and those two neighbors are two hours apart, but they either know each other or they know of each other. So that's the kind of community area you've got down there. You touched on something, though, that, you know, all the people that are leaving there chasing these opportunities, I'm going to say probably 80% of them have technical backgrounds. So they're plumbers, they're welders, they're electricians. They're people that work with their hands. They're very intelligent. Mm. They know how to work hard, and they go out and make a tremendous amount of money because the world is at a loss for people that know how to do things anymore. I was listening to the radio on the way up, and there was a girl... And uh, she had went on this blind date with this young man, and they had a flat. He could not change the tire, oh. so they're on the radio with the girl, and they're like, "Hey, would you like to, you know, see this gentleman again?" And she's like. Absolutely not. What kind of girl would want to date a man that can't change his own flat tire?
0: Yeah, he's got to learn how to floss that triple A car. Yeah,
2: man, we're <laughs>
0: right. Either
1: either get good at doing it or get good at not by doing it.
2: But <laughs> I, I think we're in a world that's overloaded by that. We've got people that expect people to do things for them, and not enough people doing things to yeah. make it work. Yeah. Um, everybody can go out and get a degree. Everybody can get a manager's title. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can actually. Perform it. That yeah. just means you've got the title, you've got the degree. Yeah, yeah. No, you checked
1: some... the boxes to get your piece of paper, and gave them the money they
2: asked for. Absolutely. That's all that. Meant. And and whether you're going to be happy in that position or not is yet to be determined. I think a lot of people get in those positions or get those degrees, and then they go out into the workplace and are like, I, I I care nothing for this. I yeah. want to go do something else.
0: You're looking at two of them. That's, yeah. a, that's that's exactly our story, right? And you you don't a business management degree. We talked about this so many times. It's it's not, it doesn't teach you anything. It, it teaches you some loose concepts. And then they, it turns out you need to know how to engage with humans. That's the thing. That's the skill that you grow. There's plenty of accountants. There's technically there's plenty of salesmen, but that, that in the middle manager that can somehow coordinate all this. And then you know this as a business runner, right? You've ran a business that required you to be in a role to touch it all. That's a lot different than when you're niched up in the corner just doing a single role.
2: Absolutely. In a small business, and I, I am going to shout out to everybody in the cloud today, if you know a small business owner, go shake their hand, man. That's Especially real. If they've been doing it for very many years, they have had some serious challenges, tough decisions on a daily basis. The
1: problem-solving and resiliency they've Kudos to them. Yeah.
2: They're not working in this giant business sector that has all these different levels and all these different mechanical things that... You can put, insert this employee, and he's already successful. And there's 50 safety nets to keep you from failing. I mean, those guys, especially if they the small family businesses that have been running for generation after generation, they have seen some tough times come and go. Kudos to them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's not as simple as, you know, you you get laid off at a, a corporation, and then you just go find another job. If you're in a small business, that's your identity. It might have your name on top of the sign, and that name might have been on that sign for the last four generations. And now you find yourself at, at harrowing times trying to figure out how do I make a small business work in what is quickly becoming a non-small business environment. Absolutely.
2: You're carrying the weight of not just your family but your employees. I, when, in my business, I looked at it as I was feeding nine families. And, that man, that you talk about keep you up at night. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. small decisions in a small business are are, yeah. have, are have huge consequences on hundreds of people. Yeah. Even only you've only got a handful of employees, you're affecting their immediate families, uh, outside families. Just there's just a lot of things go into that. Your customers, yeah. their families.
0: You're you're really the parental figure again. You you've now become daddy for lack of a better term again. And it's real. And if you take your commitments for real, and you understand that your decisions guide the food that's going in to
1: Billy's kids' mouths, that's not to be taken lightly. So, and but, it's also not the arena for it anymore. You know, big corporations have taken over almost every single space there is. Yeah, it there's not uh, this entrepreneurial. Hey, we're welcoming all new businesses in. Let's make it easy. We're living in a time now where corporations gotten big enough; they will stomp out, buy out, get rid of any small entity that yeah. that even tries to get started. Not even being threatening, just yeah. anybody who has hope that they might build their own thing, instead of giving all their time and energy to a corporation. For some reason, they jump right on. So, them. and if you go back, think about think about Hugo in
0: 1912. Completely sustainable. You had every trade you needed living in the town they weren't reliant on an amazon dc and dallas to get their cell phone covers everything they had was contained within that village and and i when i drive through small towns i drove through newkirk the other day and newkirk is it's seen better days but when i drive through small towns and, and that one's a county seat so you you know it had its time when i drive through those towns i look at them and go man i bet there was a moment here when this was a, a utopia this was ticker-take parade. This was everybody manicuring your lawns, everybody knowing everybody. You didn't go to Sonic to get your slushy. You went to Lucille's Diner. You, everything was different, and it was humid. And, man, what a time that must have been.
2: And there is so much history with these small towns. You know, I'm, So the, the town I live in and have been around most of my life is Hugo, Oklahoma, and they're— uh, Their slogan, if you will, is Circus City, USA. Yeah. So where where does
1: that slogan come from? So
2: here's where that came from. Way back at the turn of the century when the circuses were traveling all over the U.S., Hugo was a main railroad crossway. And they traveled by rail at that time because the roads were absolutely horrific. <laughs> and you can't transport an elephant riding in a wagon yeah, across a muddy tough. road and across a river that's flooded and all these different things. Yeah,
1: there was a golden era of railroad right around yeah. that, late 18, early So that
2: worked out really well. There was a really big railroad yard there. And they would winter there because it was fairly centralized location. They had a good climate. There was just a lot of things to offer for, for the circuses. And to this day... They still winter there. a lot of the families still live there. We're talking generation after generation of circus performers, people that have traveled the road. Uh, you know the big top. Uh, they still have some elephants there. they've got a, a elephant sanctuary when elephants age out from performing, they retire them and they donate take donations and put on little shows and stuff like that it's really interesting so
1: when they winter there that's i guess uh the off season so to speak yes so it, do you see like a spike in population how many people are we talking to come in with that
2: you know i i'd be amiss to tell you uh, I, I don't know what those numbers are today because the the circus has steadily declined over the last yeah. 20 years right we got Pete involved there's, there's just a lot of things again small business right and it is so difficult to make it any kind of small business, much less one that's, I'm not going to say a circus, is agriculture. It's but entertainment. They're they are dealing with entertainment. They're dealing with logistics. They're dealing with laws. They're dealing with live animals. There's a lot of problems that can happen there.
1: Yeah, that's something that, that I guess this legal corporate world is going to snuff out real quick. Because honestly, it's the entertainment industry, and if there's any industry that's gotten completely... Demonized through legalities, it's the entertainment. And, and you think about what how magical a circus
0: would have been coming to town. I mean, to say it was second only to Christmas probably isn't even doing it right. Like, I, I, I can imagine if you're living in a small town in the 1920s or 30s and the circus comes to town and they've got flying people on trapezes and they got monkeys driving cars. Like, you know how mind blowing the entertainment would be. We go to casinos and we watch Netflix. Those people had moments in the real, in small, intimate gatherings that I admire. I I, I would rather sit in a small carnival than sit at the paycom with forty thousand people. Like it, it's a totally different experience. I'd like to get a little bit of elephant poo in my eye if I can.
1: It's a great it experience. Nachos, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> I want some of that organic elephant poo on my nachos. It's, I'm just. It's a much more real tangible experience when you do it in a small setting. And, and I think the thing about circuses or carnivals, they were always pushing the limits of humankind. We giggled at it. We giggled at the 300-pound woman eating a bucket of chicken, right? And we giggled at the trapeze artist. But when you stop giggling, those are humans pushing limits. We may have opinions about the limits, but the people that fly on trapezes, the people that balance under elephants— They're pushing limits, man. That's
1: courage. That's courage on display. Well, not even just those. Think about the ones who travel around. The the supporting cast. These ones that we put that label that might not be so sexy sounding, but the carnies. Hey, to me, that seems like a pretty fantastic life. I don't have any problem with being the guy who follows around the party, maybe puts in a little hard effort setting it up, and then stands around and watches everybody have fun on the party I just set up. Well, you go on and get ready to move on to the next town. You, if you look at it from a, from a the right point of view, yeah. maybe take out some of the mental illness or failure that comes along with the idea of being a carny, there's some
2: joy to be had in that sort of existence. Yeah, okay. r- run off and join the circus, as they say.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, you're not going to become a millionaire billionaire, but uh, as I've said on a different show, if you can just be in enough air, it's amazing the I would opportunities love
0: to Do in- you think they take interns? I would love to intern. Oh, you don't, don't even know, have to intern. <laughs> I don't want to stay. I know there's no paperwork involved. There might be like a blood oath to get in. But I like you, man. I think they're modern-day gypsies. Like, I, I think they're, they're a piece of the culture that needs to be preserved. And they're kind of left to fend on their own. You know, whatever, whatever ticket sales they can scrape up. But I think that's a, that's a culture of people that had an involvement in entertaining the world. And and now we're kind of watching the sunset on it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure if they're gonna let you intern. I'm sure they'll they'll probably let you come volunteer, but the volunteer work <laughs> is gonna start right there where you wanna get that elephant poo in your eye. Oh yeah, that's a <laughs> so long, So it's I mean, you're on the right track. You just let me know. We'll Make get sure you hold set the set right up. end of the yeah. shovel,
1: they'll hire you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I learned it I learned through going through landfills when I was a, a management trainee a long time. Like you, you give me a limited time frame, I can walk through nearly anything. But I like you. I, I celebrate the freedom. I like get the adventure, man, of being on the road as a carny. That's got to be something. That's not a place I want to stay. I don't want to live there, and I'm not bringing my kids. Yeah. But for a moment in time, like that, might be freedom at, at the highest level of freedom that, that you and I can't even understand.
1: So yeah. when they come, to, like. Th- when they're in town, do you, you don't like, do you see them? Do you notice like when you're at the grocery store, you look around and say, "Oh, well, like the yeah, carnies in town." Yeah,
2: it's I mean it's a small town. You bump into them; they're just normal people.
1: Yeah, you know. I think that's they what, don't start that's doing what, cartwheels down yeah, the grocery that's what aisle. You, are, like, yeah, <laughs> I mean they're, <laughs> they're not wearing tights constantly. Yeah.
2: You don't you don't bump into the big red shoes at the grocery <laughs> store, right? They're just normal people doing normal people things. That's like,
0: it's, that's like saying that I, I lived at Jimmy Johnson's house and he's got a lap track in the back, and I just hear his tires squealing all the time. I think that's that's what we're failing to yeah. account for. When carnival people go home,
1: they're just people. They're yeah, not carnival people. Well, it's people like when you used boys. to run into your teacher at the grocery store when you were a kid. Yeah. You're like, wait a minute, what are you doing here? <laughs> I still can't spell cat. What do you want me to do? <laughs> You're only supposed to be at school.
0: Yeah. All right. The thoughts really piled up this episode. Join us next time. We will continue the discussion. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds Podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.